Merry Christmas, everybody. Thank you. I appreciate that. I really appreciate you joining us, especially today, because I know how busy life can get, especially as we're heading into the actual Christmas week. And I know there's a lot of places you could be, a lot of things you probably could be doing, but I'm so glad that you're taking some time to connect with us, whether that's in person at one of our campuses or online. And so I want to begin with just kind of take a little survey, see how we're doing in our Christmas preparedness. So how many of you are ready? You've got everything done. You have bought all your gifts. So just let me see your hands in person, a little thumbs up online. Yes. Aren't you precious, you little really prepared people? Yeah. Now, how many of you, not so much, you still got stuff to do this week? Wow. You guys do realize like it's only five days away. And by the way, there's nothing on the shelves at most any store. So good luck with all of that. But hey, listen, whatever your level of Christmas preparedness right now, uh, my hope, my prayer has been that our time together today would not only encourage you, but maybe also give you some practical help to get through whatever you're going to be going through this week. And so if you'll grab your message notes, you'll see we are continuing in this Christmas message series called Home for Christmas. And and we chose this concept because home, or at least the idea of home, is deeply ingrained in our holiday celebration, right? I mean, we, we sing about no place like home for the holidays, and I'll be home for Christmas. And, and for many of us, home is that place we're going to go or where we wish we could go to celebrate the holidays. But home, kind of like Christmas, can be a mixed bag of emotions. I, I mean, I understand for, for some of you, home is a, a warm and safe and wonderful place where you feel loved and accepted. But I also recognize that for some of us, not so much. The idea of home is a a difficult, painful memory or situation or circumstance. But what I want you to know today is that whatever home is or isn't for you, Christmas means that you can come home to God. In fact, we see this in our theme verse for this series from Psalm 90, verse 1. Notice what it says. It says, Lord, through all generations, you have been our home. And listen, the power of those words are when you realize whose words they are. These were written by Moses, a guy who spent his entire life on this earth kind of homeless and drifting, right? He was born into a loving home, but his parents had to put him in a basket as a baby to save his life. And yes, miraculously, he was rescued by Pharaoh and saved in the palace. And he grew up in Pharaoh's palace, which I'm sure was a nice home, but all that changed when they figured out who he really was. And he was thrown out on his own. This is Moses who spent 40 years leading the homeless nation of Israel, wandering in the wilderness. They couldn't go back to their previous homes in Egypt. 
And they couldn't yet inherit their home in the promised land. But what Moses realizes that home is not a physical place. Home is not an address. Home is not some nostalgia from our childhood or something we have to wait to die to experience. Home is God with us. And that we get to be with him right? Because that's what Christmas is the celebration of, right? Christmas means God made his home with us, and it also means that we can come home to him. And so each week in this series, we've been unwrapping some of the gifts that are waiting for us when we come home to God. To explore, what does that mean? I mean, it's a beautiful little saying, come home to God for Christmas, but what does that actually mean in our daily lives? And two weeks ago, we discovered that we could come home to God for hope, true hope, not the wishful thinking of hanging a stocking by the chimney with care, hoping that St. Nicholas soon would be there, but real hope based on the reality of God's presence and promises in our lives. Last week, we talked about coming home for joy right? The joy of Christmas is not the warm, fuzzy feeling of, you know, positive things happening around me. That the joy of Christmas is the deep, settled confidence that comes from knowing that God is in control of the details of my life. And so today I want to look at a very unique and often forgotten gift of Christmas, and that is strength. Right? I mean, strength is not really a Christmas word, right? We, we don't sing it in any of our carols. I've never seen it on a Christmas card, and yet it's one of the things that is most needed, especially at Christmas. Now, we need strength for Christmas. If you don't think you need God's strength, you either haven't been shopping at Walmart or spent time with extended family right? Because we need it especially this time of year. We don't sing it in carols and we don't write it on Christmas cards, but man, how many times in the last two weeks have you prayed, Lord, give me strength. Lord, I need your strength, right? And the good news is that strength is not just something we need at Christmas. It's something we need all year long. In fact, I was thinking about this. While strength is not a Christmas word, Peace is, right? Peace is a big Christmas word. Guess where peace comes from? From having God's strength in your life. Look at Psalm 29, 11. It says, the Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. See, these aren't two separate sentences. These are intertwined. These are connected that when we have God's strength in our life, we experience his peace in our life. Or I could say it this way. Peace is not the absence of problems. Peace is having God's strength to face the problems that we have in our life. And so today, I just wanna spend a few moments looking at how we can experience God's strength in our lives. Five steps to coming home to God's strength. But before we look at those, I just wanna be clear that these five things, this is not some magic biblical formula, right? That these aren't five happy hops to rub in the genie's lamp so that God will give you whatever you need. These are five core biblical truths 
that we must come to and experience over and over in our lives in order to access God's strength in our lives. Five things, and interestingly, they all begin with A. Wonder how that happened. It's a Christmas miracle. Here we go. Number one, the first thing I have to do to come home for God's strength is I have to affirm God's power and presence. I have to affirm God's power and presence in my life. I have to believe it and own it for myself, right? No matter how many Christmas services you sit through and hear about God being with us, no matter how many times you sing about God being a way maker and a miracle worker, no matter matter how many amazing stories of faith you hear in other people's lives, until you believe it for yourself, until you take ownership of it, until you believe that it is available for you, until you settle that in your own heart and on your own life, God's strength will continue to be elusive for you. Several years ago when my parents were still living, we were having this conversation and and I asked them about their parents, my grandparents, because they all passed away before I was born. So I really didn't know them and know what their life was like. So I was asking my parents about what my grandparents' world was like. And my dad informed me that his parents, my grandparents, grew up without electricity in their home. Not because they were poor and couldn't afford it, but they were born before the turn of the century. Electricity was not available in rural South Carolina. And so they grew up in homes that were lit with oil lamps, they heated with fireplaces, and they cooked on wood-burning stoves. That was just the life they knew. But as my grandparents got older, electricity finally made it to rural South Carolina, and the government instituted a program to retrofit houses with electricity. And so sure enough, they put in outlets and lights and switches and all of that, but my dad told me even though they had access right there in their home to electricity, they continued to use their oil burning lamps, they continued to heat with wood fireplaces and cook on wood burning stoves. And I was like, now why would they do that? I mean, it's right there. And he said, they didn't trust it. They didn't believe that it would work for them. And it's, it's not that they didn't think electricity was real. They'd seen it and knew people. They just didn't believe it would work for them. And I think for some of us, that's how we are with God's presence and power. We do believe it happens to other people. We do believe God shows up. We hear these stories of people talking about having a closeness, just feeling like God was right there. Or we watch them walk through tragic circumstances, maintaining their faith, and we know there's some supernatural strength. We see that. We just don't believe that it is available for us. And I believe until we do, until you do, you're going to struggle to experience God's power. But all of us struggle with this in different ways. You may feel it. You may not feel it. You may experience it. You may not experience it. But it is available for all of us. A great picture of that in the Old Testament that when King David finally came to power 
and he had united the whole nation of Israel. And after years of wars, they had finally defeated their arch enemy, the Philistines. Life was going great. Jerusalem was restored. And so David decided it's time to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to the capital city of Jerusalem. That ark, that box that, that was covered in gold that contained the, the Ten Commandments, you know the one from the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Well, it had been just kind of forgotten in some little village. And David said, we're going to bring that because it represents God's presence and power in the life of our nation. And so when they brought the ark into Jerusalem, David calls the whole city together and he kind of talks to them about the ark. And I want you to notice part of that message is found in 1 Chronicles 16. Look at what David says to the whole city. He says, depend on the Lord and his strength. Always go to him for help. Remember the miracles he has done. Here's the problem. The people David is talking to, they never saw the miracles of the ark, right? They'd never seen the ark before. Yeah, maybe they'd heard stories about their ancestors when they were taking the promised land, that every time the ark went before them, huge armies were defeated, you know, like that. It it wasn't a magic box. It was just what it looks like when God's power and presence is with you, but they hadn't experienced that. They'd never seen that. And I believe what David is saying is, we got to affirm this for ourselves. We have to take ownership of this. I don't know what's keeping you from experience or believing that God's power and presence is available to you, but I do know this. Until you do, you won't experience his strength. I have to affirm it. Number two, the second thing I have to do is admit my weakness. Right? Until I recognize that I need God's strength, I'm not going to have God's strength, right? That's why the first step in every 12-step program is to admit my need, admit there's a problem, to admit that my life is unmanageable on my own, and I need a strength beyond myself. Look, that's not just true for folks who struggle with addiction. That's true for all of us. Your life is unmanageable. You may not realize it yet. You may not recognize it, but your life is unmanageable. It's bigger than you. Listen, if you live long enough, life will ultimately eventually get bigger than you can handle in your own strength. Merry Christmas. Aren't you glad you came today? Right, but I don't tell that to you to discourage you. I just say that so that we would be willing to admit that need. You know, sometimes parents will come to me or they'll call me and they're all upset and worried because their son or daughter has gone off to college and they come home from the holidays and they declare that they are an atheist, right? I no longer believe in God. And I understand from a parent that that freaks them out. But you know what I usually say to parents? Don't panic too much. It's easy to be an atheist when you're 20 years old and have the world by the tail. It's easy to think you don't need God, but you know what that's saying, there, there are no atheists in the foxhole. What I'm saying is don't wait till you're in the foxhole to admit that you need God. But you know, we all have this tendency to try to do it on our own particularly in the things that we think we can handle, right? It's the American way. We stand on our own two feet. We pull ourselves up 
by our own bootstraps. That's the American way, but that's not God's way. The apostle Paul understood that. He knew all about struggles that were bigger than he could handle on his own. One of those was some sort of physical persistent issue that he called the thorn in the flesh. And over and over, he begged God to remove it, to heal him, to fix it. But I want you to notice God's answer to him in 2 Corinthians 12. Paul writes, but he, but God said to me, my grace is enough for you. When you are weak, my power is made perfect in you. It's in our weakness that we experience God's strength. And that's why Paul goes on to say, so I'm very happy to brag about my weakness, not just admit it, to brag about it. Why? Because then Christ's power can live in me. You know, we've heard all our lives, God helps those who help themselves. No, he doesn't. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who recognize that they cannot help themselves. The beginning of God's strength in your life is when you finally get to the end of you and throw up your hands and say, I need you. I can't do it on my own. I have to affirm God's power and presence. I have to admit my weakness. And number three, I have to ask God for it. To have God's strength, I have to ask God for it. Now, I know this seems obvious, right? If you want God's strength, you got to ask him for it. But the truth is, many times, we don't. We beat around the bush with God, and we don't just come out and tell him what's on our heart or what it is we want or desire. Years ago when I was a teenager, in fact, I was 16 because I had just gotten my full driver's license, no longer a permit, full driver's license. And my older brother, John, got his first car. He bought his first car. It was a used car because he was older. He had graduated. He was out working, made some money, and he bought a car. And even though it was a used car, it was a Cutlass Supreme. Now, some of you old folks know what I'm talking about. That car was bad to the bone. Two-tone exterior, leathered up interior, a thumping sound system, and its own cassette deck. Built right in, man, that was it. And so I remember he brought it home. We're all standing out in the driveway looking at it, and I'm looking at that car, and I'm thinking, man, I'd look good driving that. I would be so cool. You know what would really be cool? I would really love to go out on a date in that car. You know, a little Barry White in the cassette deck. I'd be rolling, babe. This would be awesome. And so, you know, we're sitting there talking about it. And I said to my brother, John, I said, John, you think, are you going to let other people drive that car? Or are you probably just going to drive it yourself? Or, John, don't you think that'd be a cool car to go out on a date on? And he knew what I was doing. He wasn't stupid. So he looked at me and said, Philip, if you want to borrow my car, just ask. And I said, okay, can I? And he said, absolutely not. That's what brothers do. But actually, a little bit later, he did allow me to use that car. And I did look and feel as good as I thought I would driving that car. But you know, sometimes we beat around the bush with God. We, we, we don't really pour out our heart to him. We, we pray our pretty little sanitary memorized prayers instead of just crying out desperately for God to show up. 
That's why James, the brother of Jesus, writes these words in James 4, which, by the way, these words are written to Christians who are trying to get what they want in their own strength and own power. And look at what James says. You do not have because you do not what? What's it say? You don't ask God. See, the good news of Christmas is you don't have to beat around the bush with God. Because Jesus, who was born in Bethlehem's manger, would die on Calvary's cross to rip the veil that separated us from God. And we can now come boldly before the throne of God and cry out for his help. And his strength is available not because of who we are, but because who Jesus is and what he has done for us. But look, it takes more than just asking God for his strength and believing that he has it. There's a fourth thing, and this gets a little bit tougher. I have to align myself with God's will. I have to align myself with God's will. What's that old country song? It's real popular. uh, Looking for love in, looking for love in. Don't you guys think you should be listening to Christian music instead of that trashy country music? I'm just saying, right? But listen, when it comes to God's strength, the problem is not that we're looking for it in the wrong places. The problem is we want it for all the wrong reasons. See, we want God's strength to do our will, our agenda, our purposes. And so we pray and say, God, this is my plan. This is what I'm going to do. Now bless me with your strength. Listen, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. God is not a codependent parent. God is not going to give us his resources for us to use to run our lives off track. God's not going to give us his strength so we can live our selfish, self-destructive agendas. He gives us his strength to do his will, not ours. That's why notice what Peter says, 2 Peter 1, 3. He says, Jesus has the power of God by which he has given us everything we need to live and to what? What does that say? To serve God, not ourselves. We have these things because we know him. Now track with me, this, this word know in the Bible, it doesn't mean knowledge about. It means intimacy with. This connection with this love relationship, this daily journey with Jesus. And when we know him like that, his strength is constantly available to us. But that kind of knowing You're not going to get from reading a two-minute devotion every morning or coming to church a, a Sunday or two a month. It comes from a daily walk with Jesus. And let me tell you something. When you walk with Jesus, he leads, not you. He sets the pace and the direction. It's his purpose, his agenda, not mine. But as we line up, and learn the rhythm of following Jesus in an intimate daily journey, man, we live in the wake of his awesome power, able to remove things we could not ever imagine being removed. I have to align myself 
with God's will. And then finally, number five, this is going to be the hardest one of all, and that is I have to act as if I had it. To come home to God's strength, I have to act like I have God's strength even when I don't feel it. Because that's the thing about God's strength. They usually don't give it to us ahead of time. Right? It's not like you can pray and say, God, I'm facing this issue or this decision. I need your strength. And as soon as you say amen, you feel, oh, I've got his strength. Okay, I'm ready to go. No, it doesn't usually work that way. Not for me. Maybe some of y'all, because y'all are super spiritual. But for me, it's usually like begging for God's strength, saying amen and going, okay, I don't feel any different, but I got to keep moving. And what I have discovered is that as you start stepping out in faith, As you start believing and stepping as if you had God's strength, that's when his strength shows up, just in the nick of time. I've told you this before, but years ago, I I watched a documentary on trapeze artists. You know, those people in the circus that fly through the air. And watching that documentary, I discovered there are two kinds of trapeze artists. There's flyers and there's catchers. The flyer's job is to fly through the air with the greatest of ease. The catcher's job is to catch those flyers so they don't crash and burn. And they were interviewing one of the flyers and he said, listen, there's a point at which you must commit and let go of the bar. But when you're doing that, your back is to the catcher. You don't see the catcher. You've got to let go and trust that the catcher's going to catch you. And see, I think that's the way it is with God. We have to let go and trust his strength for his strength to show up. So I think there's some of you here this morning, you're asking for God's strength and he's waiting on you to let go. He's waiting on you to let go of your agenda, to let go of your plan or how you want it to go. And the reason he does that is not to torture you. It's not to try to prove, get you to prove that you're worthy of his strength. The reason he does that is because he desires your faith more than your accomplishments. He desires to you to trust in him more than to do or not do that thing he's called you to do. I think for me, one of the best pictures of that in the whole Bible comes from the Christmas story. It's Mary, this young teenage girl Growing up in Nazareth, just just trying to live the best life possible, just doing life on life's terms. And then all of a sudden, an angel shows up and informs her that she's going to bear a child, not any old child, but she's going to give birth to God in the flesh. She's going to be the mother of God while he's here on this earth. Can you even begin to imagine how overwhelming how unbelievable that is. I mean, she knew the prophecy. She knew that Messiah would be born to a virgin. She just never thought that would be her. And yet, she hears this news. And she doesn't know how it's gonna work. She don't know what her life's gonna be like, but notice her response, Luke 1.38. Mary said, I am the servant of the Lord. Let this happen to me as you say. And if you read the rest of the gospels, you'll see that Mary will spend the rest of her life in a constant struggle between faith and fear. In a constant struggle of trusting God with this beautiful child 
and trying to take control of the situation into her own hands. But if you watch, you'll also see she just kept acting in faith even when she didn't feel God's strength. And guess what, church? Christmas means you can too. I don't know what you're facing this week. I have no idea what the new year will bring into your life, but I do know this. God's strength is available, and it is more than enough to get you through whatever you're gonna go through. So I wanna share with you this great Christmas promise from Psalm 37, from the Living Bible paraphrase, and it simply says this, commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him to help you, and he will do it. Before I close in prayer, I I do need to ask a favor of you, our Cedar Creek Church family. Many of you are aware of our global peace partner, Pastor Ebenezer Uday Kumar, who serves in India. Maybe you were here a couple of months ago when they unveiled the Lori Swift Memorial Bible Recording Studio. I got an email yesterday from Ebenezer's son, Finney, informing me that Pastor Ebenezer passed away this past weekend. And I, you know, I've thought about that. I, I, our hearts are broken. I know yours are as well. But as I thought about that, I also realized I don't know that I've ever known a greater example of God's strength in someone's life. If you ever met Ebenezer, you know there's nothing uh, intimidating about him physically. Barely, maybe four foot, 11, soft, spoken. But in the kingdom, this man was a giant. He was a warrior for the faith. And his legacy will resonate throughout the mountains of southern India for generations for God's glory. That's what it looks like when you live in God's strength for God's agenda. But I also know his son, Joseph Finney, uh, and his daughter, I know they're suffering, they're struggling, especially this time of year, the BitLit ministry team. Uh, and so I just wanna ask you this week, in the middle of all you've got going on, would you just take some time, pray for the Udikumar family, pray for uh, Joanna and Finney, son and daughter for all of the team there. Because I know uh, they will know that. They often join us online on Sundays. And so just knowing that you love them and you're praying for them. I can tell you from my own journey, just knowing that people care and people hurt when you hurt and people are praying makes a huge difference. So I just want to encourage you to do that over these next couple of days especially. So let's do that now. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, I do thank you that Christmas is a reminder that no matter what we're going through, we don't go through it alone. You are with us. You willingly left the throne of glory to enter the messy brokenness of our world and our lives. So help us focus on that and all the busyness in the midst of all the merry and bright celebrations. Help us to remember that this time of year is truly a holiday for the suffering, for those who are hurting. And so we pray for the Uday Kumar family. I pray for those who are part of our church family who have things going on that we don't know anything about. God, I know that you are faithful. 
And I pray that each one of us would take a next step today to plug into your strength and your power so that we could live for your glory and your kingdom. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.